So my guest on this podcast is Mike Parham, who is the author of a tool called Sidekick, which is a library for running background jobs. We don't actually uh, touch on this quite directly in the podcast, but I think it's worth mentioning that this is not a small success. Uh, Mike, at the time of recording, was making about $80,000 a month from this product. So uh, Mike is humble and approachable, sounds like a normal guy, but you should know that he's sitting on quite a big success. And so the things that we talk about and the things that you might learn from him in this podcast, I think are worth your consideration. Giant robots smashing into other giant robots. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast. My name is Ben Orenstein, and I'm here today with Mike Parham. Hey, Mike. Hi, Ben. How's it going? It's going great. Awesome. So I actually was a little disappointed to see the like Indie Hackers article and a couple of those other things come out recently because I'd had the idea to have you on as I thought you have kind of a, a unique, interesting story to tell. And I feel like I got scooped a little bit. Um, <laughs> but, so people may have heard some of the stuff already, but nonetheless, I'm glad you're here to sort of talk about what's been going on. Yeah, glad to be here. I've I've heard uh, I mean I've heard this podcast a few times, and I know you guys turn out a quality product. So uh, oh, thank you. I'm I'm glad to be here. Cool. So you are the author of Sidekick. That is correct. Yeah. Absolutely. That's <laughs> what I do every day. That's what you do every day. And so I've been following you on Twitter for a long time. I don't think we've actually ever met or chatted before, but I've been sort of loosely aware of your existence and Sidekick as a thing. And I wanted to bring you on the podcast because we've had some guests recently uh, at sort of different phases of SaaS businesses. Um, so someone who runs like a very established, uh, large, successful SaaS, another person who was just starting out. And you technically are doing software as a service, but not in the way that people might think of that phrase. Uh, so I thought it would be interesting to have sort of your unique voice on here and talk about what you've been doing. So uh, for folks that don't know, maybe you could just give a little background about what Sidekick is and how it pays your bills. Sure. Uh, so Sidekick is a background job processing framework for uh, the Ruby programming language, and it integrates tightly with Rails, which Ruby on Rails is a you know the famous web framework sure. uh, that's been around for a decade now. I think of Sidekick as Rails' sidekick, because if you're running a web business, kind of Rails and Sidekick are the two big pieces of infrastructure. Mm-hmm that you need to power up a, a web-based business. Mm-hmm. Um, so Rails does a lot of work. And, uh, you know, certainly uh, libraries like Puma and Passenger provide the website, but nothing really provides back-end sort of asynchronous processing. Or rather, there's been a lot of solutions in the Ruby community before, but uh, I had the idea to build a better one with Sidekick. And mm-hmm. so I have an open source project and I give away the sort of base level of Sidekick functionality as open source. And then my business is selling extensions to the open source project, which provide additional functionality that heavy users or large corporations might find uh, valuable. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it turns out that that works pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> You're supporting yourself. Um, things are going well. Yeah. It's, it's just you working on it. I, I know you're sort of, you've, you've mentioned you're not interested in hiring employees, so it's a solo effort. Yeah, that's, it's, that's an interesting question. I've tried to design the business to run solo, yeah. um, but you know, we'll see. As revenue grows and as I want to step away and take vacations and not have to think about things for a week or two, the need for somebody to spell me mm-hmm. uh, would be would be useful. Are, so. are you aware of many other people doing a similar model? Because this this appears to solve one of the problems with open source 
of the support burden, the maintenance burden, and the, right. the kind of the burnout reality of starting a successful open source product. We have a number of open source libraries that got fairly popular at ThoughtBot, and it's a constant, not struggle exactly, it's a labor of love, but there's, we need to always have kind of like a product manager effectively in charge of our more popular open source gems because otherwise they rot. Yeah, I don't know of um, my exact business model is called open core. So you have the core thing, open source, and then you have closed source extensions that, that businesses have to pay for to gain access to. Mm -hmm. I don't know of a lot of companies doing that for various reasons. Uh, it may be hard to actually technically implement. Um, to some extent, you are giving away your IP. When a business buys Pro or Enterprise, my products, they actually get the source code for those products. Mm. So some businesses may feel that that's giving away too much and don't want to pursue that business model. Mm -hmm. uh, but given that it's such that it's just me, I felt that that wasn't a huge risk. Mm -hmm. And so I just, I did it. I mean, I, was, I wasn't making any money before. So if I don't make any money afterwards, then, then the experiment failed. But right. uh, it turns out that it, it's working quite well for me. I don't have any problems with piracy that I'm, that I'm aware of. Yep. And certainly the fact that I'm selling uh, B2B sort of business tools to other businesses mm -hmm. really means that piracy is not a problem as, as far as I can tell. And it seems like a large benefit of the paid versions of Sidekick are access to you, which you can't pirate. Correct. Uh, it, I mean, these are complex tools. And so uh, there's lots of documentation out there. I try to document things as best as I can to minimize my support. But yeah, when it comes right down to it, the, uh, people will run into mysterious problems and they'll, they will need to email me. Yeah. So did you foresee this business model when you started working on Sidekick? I did not. I tried selling a license at first mm -hmm. for a pretty low price and didn't make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly nothing to where I could actually pursue it mm -hmm. for any length of time. But once I realized that that was not going to work, I started just investigating various possibilities and open core was one of them. And it just so happened that I figured out how to run my own private gem server with mm -hmm. Bundler and Ruby gems mm -hmm. and it worked. And I, I didn't know of anybody else that was doing it. Uh-huh. But I thought, mm, let's see if businesses are willing to do this, you know, if they're willing to take a chance on me. And so when I first ran my, my gem server, it was hosted on uh, mm -hmm. Yep, <laughs> which is kind of silly, right? You're pulling down a gem that your business requires from some dude's random blog site. Mm -hmm. So yep. uh, yeah, it took me a couple of years to actually move it into a proper business and yeah. make everything look legit. But uh, it was legit from day one. I was I was trying to make this work. Right. And you, and you sort of saw a situation where the existing background job libraries were not multi-threaded. Correct. Yeah. They were slow and inefficient. They oftentimes had very little functionality in their core and you had to add on half a dozen or a dozen different gems just to get a good amount of functionality. Yep. Um, that was one particular thing that bothered me about Rescue is it only just had the core job execution. And if you wanted retries, if you wanted a web UI, if you wanted uh, integration with uh, Rails and Action Mailer and all these different things, mm -hmm. you had to pull in all these different gems. And uh, I thought, I, I want all that in the base library. So Sidekick provides a tremendous amount of functionality straight out of the box with just one gem. Mm -hmm. So you, it, it sounds like you, you looked at what was out there and you're like, I can do better than that with some technical improvements. But you didn't foresee a world where like, hey, I could make 80K a month by selling an open source tool effectively. 
Well, I knew it was val- I knew what I was going to build was going to be valuable. And that's why I said, I, I need to monetize this. I don't want to build something that's valuable and just give it away for free. Mm-hmm. That is exploiting me and my expertise right. and my time. Yep. And I'm willing to work and build this tool if people are willing to pay me a, a reasonable amount of money for it. Mm-hmm. And so that's what happened. I, once I started building Sidekick, I also, at the same time, I also knew I need to find some way of making this financially viable. Mm-hmm. What was the time period between starting Sidekick and leaving your job to work on it full-time? Uh, it was about maybe two and a half years, two years, something like that. Somewhere in there. Yeah. Interesting. And so during that time period, you were working on the product, talking to customers and just improving it in a loop and figuring out the business model, probably. That sounded like that, that seems like that was the big change there was the business model tweaks. Yeah. So uh, I, I released Sidekick and then six months later, about actually more like nine months later, mm-hmm. I released Sidekick Pro, the first version of Sidekick Pro. Mm-hmm. Now, the company that I was working at at the time was an e-commerce company, and I was using them as the alpha tester for everything. Nice. You know, I had rewritten uh, vast amounts of their back end to use Sidekick. So it was a production laboratory for Sidekick stability, for the various pro features that I built, a lot of the stuff that I built was because we had needed it at that company. Mm-hmm. As, you know, you're right. Nights and weekends, I was also adding features. I was evangelizing. I was tweeting out about things. I was blogging st- about stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, at the same time, I was also launching Pro, so that all this work that I was doing in my spare time would provide spare income also. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it took about 18 months, but it eventually got to the point where it was bringing in more money than my full-time salary was. And that's when I knew I had a success on my hands and that it might be a good idea to just see where this thing goes and Mm -hmm. and make it my full-time job. It's nice because a lot of times people will try to start these side projects solely in their off hours, but you were able to provide value to your day job with it so you could work on it at work and legitimately. Uh, To some extent, yeah. Where we found a bug that was affecting the company, uh, I had no problem fixing that bug during business hours. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I tried to keep an IP separation because, you know, I came into the company, I had already started Sidekick right before I had started working here. And so I had called out Sidekick as my own IP. And so I didn't, you know, you always want to keep that kind of firewall yeah, between totally. what the company owns and what you own. And, you know, I, I like to think of the company as my first customer. And I took care of them as best I could. But at the same time, you know, this thing was mine uh, Mm -hmm. to sell to others also. Yep. Hmm. Have you rewritten Sidekick? Is it still roughly shaped? Is it architected like it was in the beginning? Or have you ever kind of had like a, this current approach is not working. I basically need to burn it down and and start roughly from (laughs) scratch. Well, that, that was, I guess, part of the magic that made Sidekick work is I had written background job processors uh, two or three times before Sidekick. Oh, nice. So I knew a bunch of the patterns that I wanted to use, mm-hmm. and I knew a bunch of the patterns I wanted to avoid. Um, for instance, the callback pattern is something I hate hmm. that Rails seems to use everywhere. I think it's incredibly brittle. I much prefer middleware that yields. Hmm. And that way you get a nice middleware stack that shows what's executed in what order. Whereas callbacks don't do that because you iterate through the callbacks. Can you give me an example them. to help understand what that, the difference there? Sure. Uh, rack middleware. Mm-hmm. When you execute a request in Rails, you go through all the middleware mm-hmm. and then your action 
fires. And so when you raise a backtrace, when you raise an error, mm-hmm. you see a backtrace that includes all that rack middleware. So you can kind of see what's executed mm-hmm. before your error happened. With callbacks, you don't really get that. Mm because you iterate through each callback and you just call that one callback. Instead, Sidekick middleware, it executes before each job and it yields to the next middleware. So you get this nice stack of what has executed before the job runs. Hmm. I just think of middleware as much more Ruby idiomatic Hmm. uh, than sort of procedural callbacks. What's a good example of, of something that would show up in Sidekick middleware? Well, the retry logic is all done as a middleware. So when your job raises an error, the retry middleware catches it and sort of uses a bunch of the data elements within the job payload to power the retry functionality. How many times should it retry? How often should it retry? That sort of thing. Interesting. So is this mostly for you, the library author, as opposed to me, the consumer of the library? Like, would I write my own psychic middlewares or probably not? Absolutely, you could. Uh, Middleware is good for any functionality that's orthogonal to any specific worker. Mm -hmm. So if you have functionality that you want to execute on every single job execution, Mm -hmm. then this is a perfect example of where middleware might come in handy. So um, a tons of my uh, commercial functionality is implemented as middleware. All Mm -hmm. the batch implementation is powered through middleware. Uh, Unique jobs is a middleware. Rate limiting. So the rate limiter, when you exceed a a rate limit, it raises an error that the rate limiting middleware catches and then delays sort of the execution of your job till Hmm. till later and in hopes that it will then meet the rate threshold, the rate limit. Gotcha. So yeah, all this is functionality that's kind of orthogonal to what the application is trying to do. And that's where middleware uh, is is powerful. Nice. And so you built a few things before and made some mistakes and settled on an architecture by the time you got to Sidekick. And so it's proved to be flexible enough for your purposes. Yeah. And, and so I, you know, I'm going on uh, major revision four. Uh, you know, we, we've got Sidekick four these days. Yep. And so each one of those major revisions has had major new functionality, uh, major you know, new re-architecture or rewriting. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, Sidekick four uh, ripped out celluloid and rewrote the internals to use plain old threads. So that's an example where you said, have you rewritten Sidekick? Well, a lot of the internals had to change for that major revision. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I I think of the core mental model that I have of Sidekick as as being essentially unchanged since version one. Gotcha. Um, I have a question for you. I'm going to pick your brain as long as I've got you here. I run a service that does a a fair amount of background job processing. And we have things where jobs are kind of dependent on other jobs. So, mm-hmm. for instance, a submission will come in, and I want to run a spam check on it. And if it passes the spam check and it's legitimate, I want to do you know two more jobs, but otherwise we just stop there. And so I have jobs that enqueue jobs, and mm-hmm. it creates this tree that you kind of have to walk through if you want to figure out like you know how do we get here in a sense. Is enqueuing jobs from other jobs a an anti pattern to you? Do you like that pattern? Do you have other ideas behind that? What, what do you think? No, absolutely not. That's perfectly normal. Okay. Uh, you have a you have a tree of of work that needs to be done conditionally, mm-hmm. and so having a spam job, which then kicks off other processing if the spam check passes, is perfectly normal. Okay. Like you said, you you sometimes will need to do a little bit of due diligence and debugging. Yep. Uh, you know, if something goes wrong, but that's kind of where uh, Rails has this notion of request ID. 
So when a request ID comes in, you could also create middleware, which tracks that request ID and pushes it into each job also. Hmm. And then have the request ID logged with each job. Hmm. And what that would do is allow you, if you have something like Paper Trail, aggregating all your logs, yeah. you'd be able to just say grep for this request ID. And okay. not only would you be able to see the web stuff, but you'd see all the background job stuff that hmm. was executed due to that request ID. That's a nice idea. I dig that. Free consulting. Thank you. <laughs> I'll send you my bill. Yeah. Damn it. <laughs> um, so one thing that I want to dig into a little bit is inspector, uh, mm-hmm. because I heard you refer to this um, on someone else's podcast as a bit of a failure in your mind. Mm-hmm. And this came on the heels of Sidekick, which is not a failure. And so I'm curious to like maybe post-mortem slash dig into that a little bit. Mm-hmm. So can, can you talk about what happened and why it wasn't as successful as you thought? Sure. So for my entire career over the last decade in Ruby, anytime I built a production site, I would always want tools to monitor the things, the moving parts. Mm-hmm. And so Monet was a tool that I used at every job, essentially. Uh, but I always hated Monet. It, to me, it's like a creaky old code base. Uh, it's got a bunch of features that I think are anti-patterns, like demonizing your own demons and that sort of thing. So I always wanted to build a tool that was better, like a, a modern Monet. Mm-hmm. And so Inspector came out of that desire. Um, it was scratching my own itch. Mm-hmm. And that may have been part of the failure, is people weren't asking for this tool. Mm. I was building this for myself. And so uh, I built it and I did kind of like what I did with Sidekick uh, is I built an open source version and then a pro version that I attached a price tag to and put it and threw it out there to see if people would would go for it just the same as Sidekick. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I got a few sales, but I didn't get anywhere near the sort of revenue stream that uh, Sidekick has proven um, Mm -hmm. so far. So, you know, that's kind of why I call it a failure is Technically, it, it scratched my own itch. Mm-hmm. I think it turned out really well. I, I love the tool. I would certainly use it for myself if I were ever doing what I was doing back then. Yep. Again, it replaces Monet for me, so I, I wouldn't need Monet anymore. And so from that perspective, I'd be happy. But from a business perspective, it's you know there doesn't seem to be a lot of demand for it or people aren't, aren't paying for it. So it, you know it's a failure. There's, there's no other way of putting it. Yeah. Were there clues that Sidekick and Inspector were going to work out so differently? Uh, well, you know, like I said, um, Sidekick came out of me working as a consultant and seeing a large customer running rescue and paying tons of money for all these machines because it was so inefficient. Mm-hmm. And so when you tell a large company that they can save thousands of dollars a month by switching and using this library, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden that is... ROI that you can capture a small percentage of mm-hmm. by selling a product that does the same thing. But I guess Monet and Inspector don't have that same ROI. Right. You know, uh, when it comes right down to it, Inspector is is sort of a sysadmin tool. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know how many sysadmins uh, want to pay for commercial tools right. versus, you know, just relying on open source. Yeah. And you're sort of, you're making one person's experience better versus a pretty easy ROI calculation for a business. And for an entire team of application developers. Right, but, yeah. You know, uh, Inspector is a black box that you just write a couple rules for, and then it just sits there and does its thing for the next, you know, months or years. Mm-hmm. Whereas Sidekick is a tool you you integrate directly with, and you use its APIs, you use its features. 
um, you're using its UI all the time. So it's it's much more in your face. Right. I also wonder just even psychologically if people are like, oh, well, I pay for Sidekick every year, but it's it's running all the time. It makes sense that this is a recurring cost because this is a thing that like keeps doing stuff. Which, yeah. which to me is not logical, but I've heard like, I hear people <laughs> make arguments sort of similar to that sometimes. Sure. Yeah, I don't know. Every Everybody's got their own logic for why they do or don't buy something. Yeah, totally. So you wrote a blog post uh, not too long ago that got a lot of attention called Kill Your Dependencies. Yes. Uh, um, do you want to maybe summarize that, that argument briefly? Sure. Every dependency that your app has, has a pro and a con. And so I think the Ruby community and, and especially the JavaScript community has come to swing much more in favor of just add as many dependencies as we can without thought of what is the cost of this dependency? Mm-hmm. Um, what is the quality of maintenance of this dependency? Can I rely on the versioning? Can I rely on the author to put out stable revisions? Mm-hmm. Or if there's a bug, will the author quickly fix it? Or mm-hmm. will they just let it sit there for months and years buggy? Uh, and so that's what that blog post was trying to do is communicate that um, when it comes to dependencies, it can be valuable to sit back for a minute and think about and do a little more due diligence before pulling in something. Yep. And and a lot of times some gems can be icebergs where you just add a single gem and it's got 30 different gem dependencies right. beneath it, right? Yep. And so you're pulling in a lot of weight just for that one gem. Yeah. You got to be careful with transitive things. Yes, exactly. And so uh, as I've uh, had to maintain Sidekick by myself mm-hmm. and I'm in it for the long run, I want to minimize dependencies so that a year, two years from now, one of my downstream dependencies, or I, rather, I guess, upstream dependencies, mm. doesn't break me and break Sidekick and possibly block a release or something like mm-hmm. that. And so that's what I've been doing. Yeah, I like that mentality of in it for the long haul kind of guides some interesting decisions that that seem very positive themselves. There's a real maintenance cost. Right. Right. But I mean, when you're thinking of, hey, this is a thing I plan to do for a long time, I think it changes how you do it. It, it makes you a lot more deliberate. It mm-hmm. makes you a lot slower about making changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and for sure, every change I make, I also think about what's this going to cost me in terms of support. Right. And when I think about how easy is this change to integrate for my customers who are on Sidekick 2 or Sidekick 3, if they want to upgrade to Sidekick 5, how do they go about doing that deliberately mm-hmm. and, and easily? Yep. Uh, because every mistake I make in that regard results in a dozen support emails that I then have to answer. Right. And a dozen open issues that I then have to deal with and close. Mm-hmm. So bugs cost me just as much as they cost users. Mm-hmm. Totally. Do you have other software development philosophies that you can distill like, like you did with Kill Your Dependencies? <laughs> uh, the only constant is change. Uh, mm. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, if the ecosystem is constantly changing around you, so uh, maintenance will always be required. Even if you're not adding a, a single line of functionality to a Rails app, just try and bundle install that Rails app a year from now right? and see how that goes. See how that cheats you. Mm-hmm. My guess is you might run into a problem or oh, two. Oh, for sure. We read a lot of Rails apps, and so we have a lot of old Rails apps. It's often a thing like getting the test suite that executes JavaScript. 
like some old version of Phantom or something is uh, right. can be a, a serious pain. Well, it's great when your business app depends not only on the Ruby ecosystem, but the JavaScript ecosystem also. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, why not com- you know, just combine these things? You get the cross yeah, product throw- of dependencies. Absolutely, sure. That, nothing guarantees success more. Yeah, like, like a power set of things that are changing. Precisely. <laughs> That's the best. So as your revenue has grown, as your customer account has grown, have you experienced a proportional growth of customer service issues? Or are you also kind of getting better along the way at preventing those things that generate support requests? Uh, both. I think you got the nail on the head, so to speak. I've tried to do both. I try to document as best I can uh, all the features, the quirks. I try to provide as much tooling and tips in the wiki uh, mm-hmm. around things like, uh, you know, people have Redis problems, right? They're getting Redis timeouts. Mm-hmm. I get that frequently. So I've tried to expand my Redis page to teach people, hey, here's a nice wiki page on this. Mm. These tools can be really valuable for tracking things down. Mm. It's funny that you're, you're documenting your dependencies issues or gotchas. Well, exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, the two things I hear more than anything are, are Redis uh, networking problems and active record connection problems. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Sidekick itself is pretty stable, but you know, people invariably need to run Redis with it and they're going to want to run Rails with it. So I, I hit those problems all the time. But the great thing about selling to the open source community is people are used to self-serve, right? If you think about it, if you're an open source consumer, you're used to not bothering people. You're used to Googling, Stack Overflowing, totally. reading wiki pages, reading blog posts. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of my customers, even if they do have problems, they're used to self-service. And so they'll Google, they'll Stack Overflow, mm-hmm. they'll go into my wiki and read. And so that's why I try to push my support into public forums, into Stack Overflow, into opening GitHub issues, mm-hmm. so that other people a month from now, six months from now, when they Google or when they search GitHub issues, they'll find issues that are related to their problem and mm-hmm. that solve their problem. And that way, they don't contact me either. Mm-hmm. So we both win. Their problem is solved faster and and I don't have that, that back and forth to and repeat myself <laughs> ad nauseum. Right, yeah. You've talked about enjoying the free time that running a business that is mostly self-service gives you. I'm sure you've thought about doing something like outsourcing your support burden. Is that likely to happen? Do you think that's going to happen? I mean, as, as your customer base grows, even if not linearly or even if not totally proportional, you're going to eventually be too much for you even. Right. So you are right that um, if you think about it, my product is extremely specialized. It's extremely niche. Mm-hmm. And there's not a lot of people in the world that could adequately support Sidekick. I mean, mm-hmm. don't get me wrong. There's there's a dozen people probably out there, mm-hmm. uh, but they're not on every corner. Yep. I can't just say I'm hiring and one of the first five people will probably be able to support Sidekick, no problem, right? Mm-hmm. It's a very specialized job. So that means I'm going to have to pay a specialized salary, most mm-hmm. likely. Mm-hmm. So, so finding somebody to replace me for support, I, I wouldn't be happy with just a tier one that just reads scripts and, and right. answers based on what they Google with. Mm. You know, that that would be kind of insulting my customers. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think anybody that I hired to replace me would have to be another sort of senior Ruby developer mm-hmm. where that salary is going to run me in the six figures. 
And it probably won't be a very fulfilling job for that person. Right. Because you're, you're going to be answering emails all day, really. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not going to be building a lot. So ultimately, it's kind of a hard thing to solve. Huh. I've kind of painted myself into a corner in that yeah. regard. <laughs> so let's say you've maxed out on your ability to prevent new customers from generating new support requests, but mm-hmm. you're still getting to the point where it's hard to keep up with them. Can you just keep increasing your prices so your customer base does not grow? <laughs> I mean, that is a knob that I control. Yeah, I yeah. mean, to be to be brutally honest, if I if I just want to stop selling it, I could just stop selling it. True. And, yeah, yeah. Yep. And and just have my existing customer base continue to pay for their subscriptions and continue to get the support. Yeah. So far, that that's not a problem though. Um, most of my customers tend to follow the same curve. That is, they require a bit of support upfront. A lot of them buy. Pro and enterprise because they have support issues that they need answered. Right, uh, they're having problems. They need the extra reliability because they're losing jobs because Sidekick is crashing. You know that that happens. Mm-hmm. But once, generally, once a customer has those initial support touches over and solved, they're not hitting me up too much. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, hopefully, as my business grows you know, 50% a year, I can keep up with the customers that are onboarding mm. and the, mm-hmm. the existing customer base uh, doesn't take too much. What time is left over? Yeah. Do you want the business to grow 50% a year still? I mean, I'd love it to grow a thousand percent. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> I mean, with more money comes more freedom and then I can do anything I want. Right. Mm. I mean, if I make $10 million next year, then I can just decide I want to retire. Mm-hmm. Right. And I can sell the business to somebody. Mm-hmm. who can decide to support the product as they see fit. Um, hopefully hopefully taking care of the customers as, as best as they can. But mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, money gives you freedom. Yep. And so I'm here to support the product that I've built. But if there's no money coming in, then I can guarantee you I, I probably wouldn't be sticking around supporting my, my users. Sure. Would you like to decrease the time you're spending on the business in the immediate future? Or do you like the sort of balance you've struck? I, I think I have a good balance. I mean, I'm not answering support emails eight hours a day. Mm-hmm. So um, I have plenty of free time to do as I like. Uh, you know, I can drop my kid off at school at 9 a.m. and then go pick him up at 3 p.m. and nobody cares. Yep. Nice. So yeah, I do. The lifestyle flexibility that I have right now, I'm, I'm very happy with. Hmm. Do you see any additional products in your future or do you think you're going to just kind of keep working on Sidekick? Uh, right now, uh, I have no desire to open up further uh, support channels for 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 new products. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, a new a new product is like having a new baby. All of a sudden, mm-hmm. you're a lot busier, yep. and you've got a lot of demands on your time, uh, such that you know the older kid doesn't get as much time anymore. Right. And so, Sidekick is bringing in more than enough revenue to where I'm happy today. Right. And so, I don't I don't see any reason to push myself to try and hit another uh, home run. Sure. You know, the only long-term thing that kind of bothers me is just how well the Ruby community and the Ruby ecosystem is going to grow overall. Mm-hmm. But, you know, even if I didn't make another dime, even if I didn't make another sale going forward ever, I'm still making plenty of money to where I'd be happy to support my existing customers uh, for as long as they need to. Cool. Well, I think that's actually a good place to stop. Nice chatting, then. Yeah, likewise. Appreciate you being on. Today's show was produced and edited by Just in the Nick of Tom Obarski. If you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to giantrobots.fm slash 219. Thanks for listening.